Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise God. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 126 and John chapter 4. Psalm 126 and John chapter 4. Psalm 126 and verse number five. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy, verse six. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And then John chapter four and verse 35. Jesus is speaking here and he said, Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, they are white, all ready to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One sows and another reaps. And I want to preach to you on, for a few minutes today on this subject, the field before the table. The field before the table. I am going to do some parable preaching today. I'm going to say some things in the natural that I hope you can connect to the spiritual the field before the table. God bless you, you may be seated. In our early American history, we were primarily farmers. We prepared fields, we plowed them, we planted them, we watered them, we harvested them. If you didn't prepare a crop, if you didn't raise animals, if you didn't know how to hunt or you didn't know how to fish, you are probably gonna starve. There was nobody there to help you. It was just you and your family and God. And we had a great reliance on God because if the weather didn't hold, the crops might not come in. The animals could freeze to death. We had a great trust in God and we had a great work ethic. And the reason that so many of our families were large was because the more kids you had, the more farmhands you had. It took everybody pitching in, everybody working together. Whether you were a boy or a girl, you had a job. You had responsibility. And if you didn't do your job, people didn't eat. But we went beyond farms. Pretty soon we had lumber companies taking down trees and building homes and building houses and businesses. It wasn't long after that that we started machining tools and we had machine factories and we had clothing stores and general stores. And, and so people began to work for wages. And then they would take their wages and with their wages they would purchase the necessities of life and the food from the people that were still doing the farming. Even 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10 says, 
For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And so everybody had to develop what we call a field of labor. It might be a literal field or it might be a job, but everybody had to learn a trade. There was no welfare. There there was only the reliance even in the church initially. Do you know that the first welfare system really was the church? Everybody went to church on Sunday. Everybody was a part of a congregation. And if there were people that were injured or sick and couldn't take care of themselves, the church helped. The neighbors pitched in. Everybody did what they could to help until these people recovered from their illness or from their injuries. But there was no excuse for laziness. If you were able to work and you didn't work, then you were on your own. Sounds rather harsh, but it's necessary that all of us find a field of labor. In all honesty, most men get most of their identity from their job. They get up in the morning, they go to work, they provide for their household. That's their responsibility. They take great pride in it. And to be able to sit in a warm house, and boy, this time of year, you really appreciate it. To be able to sit in a warm house with indoor plumbing and have a Thanksgiving dinner and eat as much as you want and talk and enjoy one another's company and and thank God for the blessings. I hope we're not too far removed from Thanksgiving because God has blessed us bountifully. He's blessed us abundantly and we should be thankful and we should be willing to work. But I'm concerned that in our nation, we only want the table and we don't want the field. We want somebody to provide something for us with as little or no effort as possible. Let somebody else work and let them take care of me. That's not scriptural, folks. God wants us to work. He expects us to go to the field. He expects us to labor. He's given us an ability and an opportunity. And we are not only to be concerned about ourselves, but we are to be concerned about others. We should not only be concerned that there's enough food on our table, but we should have a food pantry. We should have a food pantry in our homes. People should be able to come over to our house and we never charge them for a meal. How many of you have children that have brought their friends over and said, hey, my mom and dad won't mind? She just puts on a little more and you pray a little bit that the food will be multiplied and it works out, doesn't it? We don't charge our friends when they come to our house, but there had to be some work done in the field and in the home before there could be anything that was put on the table. The ladies worked in the house. They prepared the meals. They kept the house. They made their own clothes. They did what was necessary. I feel so guilty sometimes. I'm a, I'm a very fast eater because I'm wondering when the phone's gonna ring next. And 
and I can eat a meal in a few minutes. And I think to myself sometimes, how long my wife has worked on a meal and set the table and I eat it in 15 minutes and then people have to clean it up and do the dishes. Don't you sometimes feel just a little bit guilty about what went on to the preparation of the table versus just the eating? Didn't think I'd get too many amens to that. But I do feel guilty sometimes. Don't forget to thank your wife for all the preparation and all the work that goes in. You big husky men, you must have some really good cooks in your house. I'm talking about me too. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 13. We want the table, but we need the field. Matthew 13 and three. Jesus spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. The fowls came and devoured them. Some fell among the stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundred, some 60, some 30. Do you know what? We're only farmers. That's all we are. We didn't produce the seed. We didn't create the earth, the dirt. We tear up the earth a little bit. We throw some seeds in. If we can, we water. But the miraculous that happens really always comes from God. We can't grow anything without God. And I've noticed something else here too. And, I, and I've, I've worked on this this week. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Some 10 talents, some five, some one. Some one, some three, some five. It appears to me that God distinguishes between peoples, and I don't know why, but we're not all equal. But the common denominator at the bottom of all this is that everybody has at least one. He never comes and says, and I didn't give anything to this person. He always says, I start with one. I may have three, I may have five. I may have five, I may have 10. We don't all have the same talents. We don't all have the same abilities. We are not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. We are wise to use what we have been given and to produce. Now read this with me in 1 Corinthians chapter three and verse six. Paul said, I've planted, Apollos watered, but it was God. It was God that gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but it's God that gives the increase. The increase always comes from God. We don't have any bragging rights. To God be the glory, great things he has done. 
and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And the God supplied all of our needs according to his riches in glory. We have nothing to brag about. We're just a channel through which God does his thing. And then he said, now he that plantereth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward. But notice this, according to his own labor. He's gotta be in the field. He's gotta be working. For we are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry. We are God's building. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. We're just a bunch of farmers. Trying to let God use us, doing the little we can for the much that he can do. My concern today, and it will be evident in in my preaching over the next few minutes, is that we have too many people sitting at the table and not enough people in the field. Too many people sitting at the table, not enough people in the field. Lenny Wolf, my house is full. He wrote this song, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all wanna stay around the table and no one wants to go and work in my fields. He's saying the same thing that Jesus said in the text that I've read to you early. The fields are white unto harvest. There's no shortage of needs in the world. There's no shortage of sinners. There's no shortage uh, uh, of people that need to be saved. But there is a shortage of laborers. There is a shortage of servants. And we have not been called to sit. We have been called to serve. We have been called to serve. Of course, even the servers can fall into some pitfalls and I'm only gonna mention them for a moment, but they need to be mentioned. They that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Don't look at your brother and your sister and say, you're not doing enough. You could do more. Look at all that I do and the little that you do. I'm disappointed in you. Read continually in Matthew chapter 13 where he talks about the seed and you'll see that there's even tares in Matthew 13, 24. Another parable he put forth unto them. He said the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man. He sowed his good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and they sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. You know, we got problems in this church. Not everybody's doing right. Not everybody's involved. That's what's talked about here, tears in the house. People are always tearing things up. They're not never putting anything together. You all laugh at me when I say to you that I can destroy anything. Say, you know what, if you've got a project and you need something destroyed, if I can't destroy it with a hammer and a crowbar, I'll burn it to the ground for you. 
And you all laugh at me for that because it's easier to tear things up than it is to build things. You don't need an education to tear things up. You don't need to go to school and learn anything about destroying stuff. But if you wanna build something, well that's gonna take a little bit more effort and a little bit more skill. And so they're complaining about the tares. The servant of the householder, this is 27, came and said unto him, sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? From whence are the tares? Why do we have these people among us? So he said unto them, well, an enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, will you then go and would you that we would go and gather them up? And he said, no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Do you hear that? I remember when I was a, a young lad in the church and Brother Tamil was the pastor and uh, I thought I knew quite a bit. I looked at my pastor and I said, hmm, you know, the guy's got all this wisdom and strength and influence and everybody listens to everything he says. That's what I thought they didn't, but he ought to get in there and he ought to grab that problem by the horns and fix it right now, grab it. He ought to sit this person down and correct them. He ought to jerk their chain. He didn't move fast enough for me. He didn't do things the way I thought he always should do them. I'm confessing a, a fault of mine. And now I know why. Because sometimes when you get in there and you're overly aggressive and you start tearing at things, you're gonna pull up some wheat with it. You're gonna tear up everything around it. You're gonna mess with a lot of people's lives and a lot of people can get hurt if you're not real careful and you don't know what you're doing and God hasn't directed you as to how to do it and when to do it. So if you're sitting here, I'm just gonna preach today. If you're sitting here and you're looking at me like I looked at Pastor Tamlin and you're saying, the guy should be doing this and the guy should be doing that. He might know what he's doing. He might be waiting. He might not know how and until he gets direction, you need to pray for him. God, direct our pastor. Help him to know what he should do or what he shouldn't do. When he should speak and, and when he should be silent and when he should just let, let God do only what God can do. Because when man tries to do what only God can do, he messes it up. He makes it worse. And that's what the Lord is saying to this guy. The guy said, well, I'll go out there and rip them out for you. I'll, I'll, I'll be the, uh, the cop in the congregation. I'll fix that problem for you. And he said, no, don't do it. You're gonna create more problems. You're gonna hurt more people. Leave it alone. Well, I can't just leave it alone. I see a weed here. Listen to what Jesus says here about the tares. He said, let them both grow together in verse 30, until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, I'll tell them what to do. You gather up first the tares, you bind them in bundles and burn them up, and then you gather the wheat into my barn. We gotta let God do some things, folks. Do you know why Peter preached that message on the day of Pentecost? Because God brought conviction through the preaching of the word, and they were pricked in their hearts. That was a God thing. 
That wasn't Peter in his great eloquence, his great oratory manner. It was the spirit of God that convicted people to the point where they asked what to do to be saved. Some things only God can do. I'm glad for people that are willing to work, but you know you can put all your faith in your ability and not trust God to bless what you're doing and to provide what you can't do. Then there's the lazy. Matthew 21, a certain man had two sons. He came to the first and he said, son, go work in my vineyard. He said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. Why did he repent? Because God dealt with him. That's your dad. Your dad asked you to do something. You're supposed to honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment with promise. What are you saying no to your father for? It was God that spoke to him. And that's why he repented. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? I want to be sure you get this. Some things only God can do. He repented and he went. He went to the second son. The second son, you can read about him. uh, He said, I'll go. He never did. There's going to be some of those people in the house. Hey, you coming to the men's breakfast on Saturday? Yep, I'll be there. No, you won't. We're having a work party. I'll show up, I'll help. No, you won't. Now I'm really upset with you because you're lazy and because you didn't keep your word and you get a bad attitude. Is anybody preaching with me today? You get a bad attitude because these were sons. These were not the neighborhood kids. This was the family of the father. And the family of the father didn't all obey the father. He said, which of, the, which of the boys did his father's will? They said, well, the first. Okay, not everybody's gonna do God's will, but that should never deter you from doing God's will. It should never deter you from doing what's right. Well, when everybody else in here pitches in, then I'll pitch in. No, you lead. You do it because you want to please your father. Be pleasing to God. You know, there are, I've come to the realization that there are just some people you're not going to get very much out of. I know I've mentioned this before. I think sometimes, now I'm preaching about me, Okay. It's the easiest way to get my point across is to preach against myself or to explain myself to you about me so that you don't get offended by the preacher. But in all honesty, I do have thoughts as to why there aren't more. Why aren't there more at prayer? Why aren't there more at work parties? Why aren't there more home Bible studies being taught? Why aren't more people involved? Where are those people this morning that aren't sitting next to you that normally do? And you can focus on that. And it can take away from what you could receive. Or you could be so discouraged by that that you could join them. And that's happened too. That's how people backslide. They get discouraged about somebody else not doing right. And they figure, well, if they're not doing right, maybe I won't either. 
Well, two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs make two wrongs. That's it. That's simple math. And who's going to lose out then? And there are some people that they're not going to support this church financially. They're not going to work. They're not going to be involved. What would you like me to do? Would you like me to run them off? Or would you allow them to sit under the presence of God and let God speak to them about what he wants them to do so that it comes from God because it won't work from us. It won't, I'm gonna say it again, it won't work from us. God's gonna put it in their heart to do his will. Do you know when they took the offering for the tabernacle, how it happened? God put it in their hearts and they gave. It wasn't just because Moses said to. It was that God moved on them. I'm not gonna deal with the negative. You know what I'm gonna deal with? I'm gonna deal with the positive. I'm gonna come from a positive approach. That's why today, I wanna thank some people. I wanna thank the teachers. And I wanna thank the preachers. Men and women, boys and girls in this house that minister in the word on a consistent basis. They pray, they study, they preach their sermon all week long. I know Jeff Brown spoke at men's breakfast yesterday. I know he was preaching that all week long. I do it. You think I get up here on Sunday morning and this is all spontaneous? I'm preaching all week long. I'm on my walking trail. Lord, what is it that you want me to say to the congregation? Give me the information. Give me the scriptures. Give me the illustrations. Tell me how I can say it. And I'm walking, I'm walking on my trail this morning preaching what I'm preaching right now. It's in my heart to do that. And it's in the hearts of other men and women. I thank God for Sunday school teachers. I thank God for power hour people and people that minister to our kids. I thank God for home Bible study teachers. Thank God for them. I thank God for music. I thank God for people that have a gift that I don't have, that can sing. And they practice and they study and they listen to music and they, and they train their voice. And they come early to church and, and they practice the songs before the congregation ever shows up. I thank God for musicians. You know, they, didn't, they weren't born with an ability to play a trumpet or a guitar. They worked at it and they're still working at it. I got a guy in my house playing his guitar all the time. And that's a good thing. That's his gift, that's his talent, that's, that's where he gets his joy from, that's what he offers. That's what these musicians and choir and music people do. You know, they're setting the table, folks. Do you get it? They're setting the table. They're preparing something for people that come to the house of God. I could go on with the leadership of this congregation and the trustee board that meet a couple times a month and all these people that work so hard. I thank you for that. I thank you for your willingness and your attitude and your cooperation 
and your desire to grow the kingdom of God and for blessing the entire congregation, even the ones that don't work. I thank you today, congregation, for your generosity and your faithfulness in your tithes and in your offerings. I thank you, congregation, for a heart for the house, for your willingness to make a commitment and a sacrifice that you could blow the money somewhere else. I'm sure there's lots of things you'd like to have that you could buy if, if you didn't contribute to missionaries or a heart for the house. But I thank you for your faithfulness and your giving to this congregation. I'm praising the people that do the right things. And I'm thankful for the people that will go to the field. I know some people in this congregation, this is something the Lord laid on my heart this week. Where's my joy? I just seem to have lost my joy. Well, God sent me to tell you this. I have somewhat against you. You've left your first love and your first works. The things you once did, you no longer do. I know that I've told you this before and please just put up with an old man, but my greatest joy is not preaching a sermon on Sunday morning. I love teaching Bible studies. I love looking at people that are hungry for the word of God, listening to their questions and remembering I had the same ones, looking at their life and seeing the difficulty and the struggles that they go through and remembering that I look at Jake and Katie, and I say 30 years ago, that's me and that's my wife. And I get to live it again. Say, I know what you're going through, let me help you. There's no greater joy than being used of God. That's where your joy is. Being used of God. Hmm. Well, there's a lot more I could say, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip some of it. Do you know that we are blessed to be able to come to this table and this house? Look outside, it's snowing and it's cold, right? Go ahead, take a look. Snowing and cold. Not in here. Everybody's warm, dry, lights are on, presence of God is here. We've been blessed. We get to, we, we've been blessed by the music and blessed by the teachers. Brother Zenobian did a great job today and our Sunday school teachers are teaching. We don't have a right. It is a privilege, it's not a right. We don't have a right to be at this table. Let me give you an example of this. One of the greatest enemies David ever had was Saul. Tried to kill him on several occasions. Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. Look at the attitude of David. This is 2 Samuel chapter nine and verse three. This is what David said. Is there not any of the house of Saul? They're dead now. That I may show the kindness of God unto him. Boy, I like David's attitude. What an attitude. 
And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan had a son, but he's lame in his feet. Now let me explain to you that you are not allowed to sit at the king's table if you are imperfect or blemished in any way. Got a broken nose, you don't eat at the king's table. You can't walk, you can't hear, you can't see. Any defect, any of that, you're not allowed at the king's table because only perfection comes to the royal table. Okay? And this young boy, Mephibosheth, is lame in his feet. But verse number five said, David sent and fetched him out of the house of Micah, the son of Emil from Labrador. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, was come to David, this is what he did. See if this isn't the way that we approached God and his table the first time. He fell on his face, the altar of repentance. He did reverence, and David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, behold, I'm your servant. That's the same way we talked. David said unto him, fear not, I will surely show the kindness, show kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore unto you all of the land of Saul thy father, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. You'll always have a place, Mephibosheth, right here at my table, the king's table, a lame boy who wasn't supposed to be there. And here's his reaction to that. He bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I am? We better remember where we came from, folks. You better remember the pit that God dug you out of. You better not become self-righteous and think, well, boy, God's got a good deal now that he's got me. But for the grace of God, and such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. We are the Mephibosheth. We don't have a right. We have a privilege to be at the table. Revelations chapter 19 and verse seven. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. This is the future, folks. The marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called under the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. There's a table in heaven. And one day, I wanna sit at that table. For now, I'll sit at this table after I've worked in the field. But one day, I hope to see all of you at the marriage supper of the lamb, but it's not time to eat at the marriage supper of the lamb yet. It's time to work in the field. Let's stand together. It's time to work in the field. The farmer worked hard all day long. Some farmers will even be taking down corn even after it snows today. 
so that their families will eat and be provided for. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 44, says the kingdom of heaven, one more parable and then I'll stop. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure. It was hid in a field. The which when a man has found, he hideth, and notice this, for joy, for joy. He goes and sells all he has and he buys the field. You know why he bought the field? Because he found a treasure in it. He didn't have the deed, it wasn't his field. So he said, you know what? Now that I know that the treasure's in this field, I'm gonna go to the land office and whatever it costs me, I'm gonna buy this parcel because I know in this parcel there's a treasure. We can talk bad about the world. We can talk about all the evil that's going on in the world and the terrible things and the dim future that it appears to have. But do you know that the field, the world, is where the treasure is? It's where people are waiting for you and they're waiting for me. Just like somebody came to you one day. You said, wow, I, I sure didn't think I was a treasure. They saw you because God revealed it to them that this person is a treasure. So whatever you have to give up, Rick Tiley, if you have to give up a night to teach a Bible study, to prepare a Sunday school class, to practice a musical, to meet people on outreach, whatever you have to do, do it. Sell your time, give it away because that's where your joy is gonna come from. When you see that person being baptized in Jesus' name, oh, you're gonna say it was worth it all. 12 weeks of Bible study, 24 weeks of Bible study. When you see somebody at altar with their hands lifted in, their, in the air and tears streaming down their face and a glow comes over them and God baptizes them with his spirit. You're gonna say, oh, I'm so glad I went to the field. I'm so glad I just didn't sit in the house, but I went to the field and I found a treasure. God doesn't care about his creation. He cares about people. And we need to care about people too. Jesus, help us to go to the field. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.